Well, welcome everybody. If it's your first time here to Downtown Arbor Church, my name is John and I am wearing checkerboard vans and I don't like to draw attention to my clothes like Adam does and I wouldn't have said anything, but here we are. <laughs> anyway, we are in a brand new series um, launching called Heal, but before we kind of get into this, um, this series today, I want to talk to you about a pressing issue that needs to be addressed before we kind of go any further because there's something going to be happening pretty soon that's affecting Every single person in this room, whether you want to or not, and, and, and just we have to get our minds around it, how to understand this thing, because pretty soon we're all going to be watching the Super Bowl, okay? And I could care less. I really don't. I'm not a sports guy. I'm not interested in sports. It's not a thing that I like about. And, like, and here's the thing, and this is not a commentary on gender or anything like that, but when you're a guy... There is an expectation that you should like sports. And, and so if you're a person that doesn't like sports and you find yourself, you know, in, an, in a place where people are talking about sports, you sort of feel like you're behind enemy lines. And pretty soon they're going to find out that you don't know what you're talking about and you're going to feel like an idiot, okay? And this has been my whole life. I'm at the barbershop. I'm at the gym. People are talking about sports. And I'm just there trying not to get found out, okay? And you might say, like, John, who cares if, like, somebody knows you don't like sports? What's the big deal? If you're well-adjusted, it's not a big deal, but I'm not, okay? This is what I deal with, and you're here at church, so I know that you're not well-adjusted either. So if you're somebody like me who doesn't like sports, if you're a man or a woman or a child, my entire life I've been able to skirt this whole issue. And so this is a church that prides itself on, on practical application of, of learnings. And so what I want to do today, real briefly before we get started, I want to give you John's tips for fooling the world into thinking you like sports. These are real. I've worked on these my whole life. These work. If you implement these, you will be okay. So the first one, and this, is a, this one's really important to kind of get a handle on, but the first one that you have to do is you need to be vague. Okay, someone's going to come up to you and say, hey, did you see the game? First of all, what's the game? How do I know what you're talking about? But they know what they're talking about. And the thing is, if you know sports, you're just supposed to know what game they're talking about. But if they come up to you and they say, hey, what'd you think about the game? Gosh. Just like that. Say like, whoops, jeez. What'd you think about, did you see the Ravens game? Did I see it? What does that even mean? Right? But they don't know what you're talking about, and because they don't want to feel like an idiot, they don't ask any more questions. They just kind of leave it at that, and you can walk away, and you're safe, and you can live another day. What did you think about the game? Psh, what did I think about the game? Psh, you believe that? Huh? Okay, here's the other thing is this. And this one, this really seals the con in your life. Every once in a while, you need to insert facts when you know them. Okay, you're going to live your life, and maybe you see a headline go across the screen. Maybe you're watching, you know, Ryan and Kelly in the morning. They bring something up. You need to file these facts away and use them someday. So here's a real-life example. Yesterday was a nice day for once. I was outside, and I was scrolling through Facebook, and I saw somebody from our church post that the average Super Bowl ticket price is $2,800. I saw that, and I go, mm, here we go. File this away. Because tonight when I'm at a Super Bowl party and I'm in the kitchen and there's a guy next to me getting his pizza, I can go up to him and I go, can you believe that they are char- they got the nerve to charge $2,800 for this ticket? And he's going to look at me and go, oh, John's really up on sports. He knows what he's talking about. Here's the problem. You notice there's an asterisk here. 
you got to be careful with this because there could be follow-up questions which you are not prepared to answer. So you shoot your fact out there and you get out of that room as soon as possible. You do these things. You will be a success in life. People have no idea whether or not you like sports, but they won't ask too many questions. So there you go. Here. If you learn nothing else today, you've learned this. Okay, we are launching our new series called Heal, and I need this more than anybody else, obviously, because I'm suffering with, you know, psychological neuroses. But the reason we're talking about this series is because I think that every single one of us at some level comes to church, comes to God, because we're looking for healing in our lives. Um, and that looks different for every one of us. I think every one of us has something different going on in our lives, but I believe that we are looking to God to heal us to fix something, to, to make something whole. And over the last several months, I've kind of praying about what you guys are all dealing with and what I'm dealing with or what are areas in our lives that we are looking to God for healing. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be taking a look at the Scriptures and trying to find out how we can begin to experience God's healing in our life, particularly in areas like our relationships or in our mind or with our finances and our past. I was at the gym on Friday, and I was, I was talking to a girl, and I was telling her the topics we're going to be talking about. And she said, oh, you're doing a Sunday on, on the past? She goes, I need six months of that. And I said, you do. It's called therapy. Let's, I'll show you a guy who can help you with that. But it's true. I mean, we all have past. We all have things that we did and we wish we didn't do, and it plagues us and we drag us along. And so we're going to talk about that. But that's the upcoming weeks. And, and today, though, I need to talk to you about a topic that I think every single one of us at some level or at some point struggles with. This is a topic that impacts all of our lives, but it's confusing and we don't necessarily know how to handle it. But I want to talk about it first because I think it's actually the most important one. I want to talk about the healing of your body. I think a lot of us struggle with this because we all deal with physical issues, some of us more than others. We have aches, or pains, or some of us have sickness or disease, and these are real things happening in our lives. As Christians, we, I believe we, we pray to God about these things, and we ask him to intervene and to touch us. But even though we may be Christians, I think there's a, a large part of us that struggles with doubt when it comes to whether or not God can actually heal. New Testament, when it talks about doubt, there's a particular word that the authors use, and it's a Greek word. And the Greek definition of their word doubt is actually being double-minded. This is how they describe it. They say when, when, you, when you're struggling with doubt, you're actually being double-minded. And I think that is really apt for today's discussion. Because there's one side of us that says, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I read the scriptures. I understand the miracles that can happen. I believe that God can heal. And yet, I've prayed for people. And they got worse. I've prayed for people, and, and they've died. So does healing exist? I, I, don't, I, don't really, I don't really know how to understand this. I see the promises, and yet sometimes the promises don't seem to come true. And I'll be honest with you. I really actually wanted to skip this message today. Um, we had Christina speaking last week so that it gave me all last week to begin preparing for the series. And I spent all last week and most of this week up until Thursday wrestling around with this topic because I just wanted to come up here. And I wanted to say, all you have to do is pray and you're going to be healed. 
All you got to do is believe and have faith and you will be healed. I just wanted to give you good news, but the truth is it's not that easy. And it's not that cut and dry. And so what I want to do today is for us just to have an honest conversation about what realistic healing of our body looks like this side of heaven. So before we kind of get into the, you know, the passage for today, I want to show you what I'll call a scriptural pattern for healing. The way that the Bible kind of says, here's what you should think about healing, here's how you should approach healing, here's how you should begin to understand healing. And it's written by a guy named James. James is actually the brother of Jesus. And James says this, are any of you sick? If you are, you should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. He's saying, if you're sick, go to your church, get your pastor, find some deacons or elders or whatever your church calls them, get some seasoned Christians, ask them to come around you, ask them to pray over you, ask them to put their hands on you, ask them to anoint you with oil. You do this, you will be healed. And if you haven't spent any time in church, you may hear this and you go, this sounds pretty wacky, John. What, do you, what is this? What's the oil thing? What are you talking about? Let me explain to you briefly what he's talking about here. There's nothing magical about the oil. It's just oil. But what happens here in this situation is James is saying, we need to come together in a real and powerful way outside of just praying on our own. And we have to come before the Lord almost in an act of worship. Where we are coming before the Lord and saying, We are asking you, Lord, to pour out your mercy on this person in a special way, in a way that we've never asked for before. And James says that if you do this, you can experience healing. Now, I've actually been to one of these things where we anoint someone with oil. And I've got to be honest with you, it's, it's very powerful. It's very emotional. It's a very powerful time. And I have seen healing take place. Now, I've never seen a, a, you know, a blind man get his sight back. I've never seen a paralyzed person start to walk. But I have seen people with sickness and disease get better. And it's, uh, it's amazing. It's just truly amazing to be a part of that, to witness that, to see a miracle. And I was talking to people in this church just this week who have been healed after they were prayed over, who were healed after they were anointed with oil. And this one guy said, you know, John, I was completely healed of a pretty serious disease. And it was a miracle. He goes, but I don't talk about it. I said, well, why not? Why don't you, you know, why don't you, it's a pretty amazing testimony. Why don't you share it? He goes, because I know people that were anointed and they didn't get better. And I don't really know how to handle the fact that I was, that I was healed and this person wasn't healed. And that's what I want to talk about today. So John, who's one of Jesus' disciples, captures a really interesting interaction that Jesus has. And we've never covered this story before, but the reason I want to do it today is because it shows us that on the one hand, Jesus has the power to heal instantly. And on the other hand, Jesus sometimes chooses not to. That he just leaves people in their sickness. And I think that's what we struggle with. That's what we don't understand. So we find this in John chapter 5. It says this, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. It goes on. 
crowds of people. Some of the translations actually say multitudes of people. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people are there. It says there's blind, there's lame, there's paralyzed, and they're laying on the porches. One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. Most translations say that he was paralyzed or lame. The one that I chose just says that he was sick. But he was sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him and knew him, knew he'd been, uh, knew he'd been ill, pardon me, for a long time, Jesus asked him, would you like to get well? And the man looked at Jesus and he replied, what do you think? No, he didn't say that. I just made that up. That's John's translation. Here's what he actually said. That's what you feel like he wants to say, though. It's like, no, I'm here for my health, literally. But here he is. He goes, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. So Jesus is like, do you want to get better? And the guy says, I can't get in the water when it's bubbling. Someone always gets there ahead of me. And if you're like me, you're reading this and you're going, what? What's he talking about? It's almost like you're missing information. You're like, what you're, this guy is saying doesn't make any sense. What, what are we missing? Well, you are missing something. What you're missing is verse 4. Verse 4 describes what this man is talking about. But verse 4 has been removed from almost every single translation of the Bible other than the King James. The reason it was removed is because theologians believe it was never supposed to be there to begin with. This isn't that important, but it's just an interesting thing. John wanted verse 4 to be a margin note, just explaining what this man was talking about. And here's what John says. These people were there because there was a superstition. They believed that at some points in the year, an angel would come down, would touch the water, would make the water move, or as this translation says, bubble. And when the water was bubbling, whoever got into the water first was healed. And so this man is saying, I can't get healed because when the water bubbles, I can't get there first. I can't walk. I can't get healed. So Jesus says, you want to get healed? He goes, stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, it says, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and he began walking. It's a short story, but it's absolutely amazing. And the reason I tell you it's amazing is because we forget that these miracles are, in fact, amazing. We, we read the Bible so frequently, we hear so much about Jesus' miracles that they just, we glossed right over the fact that this man was paralyzed for 38 years, and now he can walk. So what can we learn from this very quick interaction? What can we learn about healing? What can we learn about Jesus? What can we learn about God the Father? First thing we learn is this. Jesus knows your situation. And I don't mean like just the situation. I mean your individual situation. It says this, when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, without being told, Jesus knew this man's story. He knew he'd been there for 38 years. He knew he'd perhaps been paralyzed his entire life. We don't know how old this man is. But we see evidence of this throughout the entire scripture. Time and time again, we see the fact that Jesus just knows things about us, knows things about our history. For just an example, one day he's out at a well and he meets a Samaritan woman. And he starts talking to her. He's never met. And all of a sudden he just says that he knows that she's been married five times. And the guy she's living with right now is not her husband. See, what we learn is that God and Jesus know every single thing about our lives. They know the words we're going to say. They know the thoughts that we have before we even have them. 
They know our concerns. They know our fears. They're aware of our aches and our pains and even our diagnoses. We are known by Jesus. King David in Psalm, he says something really amazing. He says, oh, Lord, you've examined my heart and know everything about me. You know when I sit down or stand up. You know, when my, uh, you know my thoughts even when I'm far away. You see me when I travel and when I rest at home. I was reading this, and it reminded me of a story my dad told me. So he grew up in a pretty strict Christian household. When he was a kid, this is back in the 1950s, I asked him if I could tell this story because it sounds a little weird. When he was a kid, he wasn't allowed to go to the movies because his parents were convinced that the movie theater was sinful. You couldn't go to the movies. And, you know, Ten Commandments came out. And he was just, he wanted to go see Ten Commandments. And, and his mom said, no, you can't go. And he goes, mom, why? What is the problem? Why can't I go? And she goes, let me ask you a question, Johnny boy. That's what they called him. If Jesus comes back, do you want him finding you inside that movie theater? And I was thinking about that. Like, you know, if Jesus comes back, I don't want him finding me in the shower either. It's kind of like, whoa, Jesus. But like, I'm not sure the logic of this, you know, holds water, okay? We're going to be a lot of places. But Jesus is, knows where we are. He knows what's going on in our lives. He goes, you know everything about me. It continues on. You know everything I do. You know what I'm going to say even before I say it, Lord. You go before me and follow me. You place your hand of blessing on my head. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too great for me to understand. This may be the first time you're hearing this, but now that you have, I mean, do you ever just reflect on the magnitude of what David is saying here? That we serve a God that knows every single thing that's going on in your life. That, that scary thing that's out there in the future, he's already there waiting for you, he says. And while he's waiting for you to get to that thing, he's also walking alongside you. And he's also following behind you. He's saying the God of this universe is surrounding you at all times, keeping you safe, making sure that he is watching over you. And I think whenever we're suffering, whenever we're going through an illness or a disease or a time of trial, I think we often wonder, is God even aware does God know what I'm going through right now? Because it kind of feels like he doesn't. God's aware. He knows every single thing you're going through. Yes, he knows. The next thing we learn is that Jesus actually has tremendous, tremendous compassion for you. So he goes to this temple. He makes his way and he finds this guy and he says, do you want to be healed? And as we read, the man said, I can't, sir. For I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. He looks at Jesus and he goes, I can't get into the water. Yeah, I want to be healed, but I can't get into the water. And I just believe that this absolutely broke Jesus' heart on so many levels. I mean, as he's at this pool surrounded by hundreds and hundreds of sick and dying people, I imagine it just broke his heart because this was never his plan for this world. That we as his creation would have to deal with sickness and death and to see these people sitting at a pool waiting for some superstition to heal him, I think it broke his heart. Guys, he's like, I can't get into the water. So the living water came to him. 
As I was writing this, I go, I can't believe I'm writing this. It's about the churchiest thing you could ever write. But it's so true. I mean, Jesus calls himself living water, and he went to this man. It's so churchy, but it's so true because in this situation, a miracle happened. And what we see is that there is a man who shows no evidence of faith in God at all. There's no prayer to God that we see. There's no recognition that he even knows who Jesus is, and yet a miracle happens purely based out of compassion. Because Jesus saw this man, saw he was in need, and he touched him. And I think the world looks at the God of Christians and look at the God of the Jews, and they believe that we serve a cruel God, that we serve a heartless God and a mean God, but that's not what you see in this passage. In this passage, you see that we serve a God who is moved by our afflictions, who is moved by our sicknesses, who is moved by our situations. In other parts of the Bible, we see that Jesus actually weeps for people when they experience death. Our Lord is moved by us. He knows us. He has compassion for us. Jesus also has the ability to heal you. Jesus has the power to heal you. He says, do you want to be healed? Yeah. Jesus says, stand up. Pick up your mat and walk. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping bag and he began walking. For 38 years, this man sat by that pool. For 30, and it could be the man's whole life, but for 38 years, this man suffered with paralysis. And Jesus shows up into his life and just speaks. And the cells are repaired. He just speaks the word. And the man's ankles are repaired. His knees are repaired. His muscles come to life. He jumps up and he is perfectly healed. No physical therapy. No aches. No pains perfect healing. This is the power that's available to our God. And every moment, every day, all over the world, that we serve a God who has the power to speak and demons flee. Speak and storms are quieted. He speaks and the world and everything in it was created. And this is the power that James, the brother of Jesus, is telling us that we need to tap into. He's saying when you are sick, when you are suffering, you need to tap into the power of the Lord who can just speak and heal your body. If it's his will. And that's where it starts getting a little confusing. So Jesus heals this man. And the man gets up and he immediately makes his way into the temple. That's a good sign. And he has a very interesting interaction with the spiritual leaders inside there. So the spiritual leaders of the time, they go over to them and they see that he's carrying his mat. And because it's the Sabbath and you shouldn't be doing any kind of work on the Sabbath, they go up to him and they go, nothing about the fact that this man is walking. They go, hey, why are you carrying your mat? And he looks at him and he goes, First of all, 
haven't you noticed I've been healed? But second of all, the reason I'm carrying this mat is because the man who miraculously healed me told me to pick it up and walk away. And the religious leaders go, what's his name? Who's the guy who told you to pick up your mat? And he goes, well, I, I didn't catch his name. Because after he healed me, this, a crowd came around us, and he just he, he disappeared. I, I, I didn't catch his name. It says this, now, the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. So you picture the scene. Jesus heals this man who's probably somewhat of a local celebrity. He's been there for 38 years. All of a sudden, amidst a crowd of people, Jesus heals this man. And every single sick person in that room, I imagine, runs to Jesus. Give to me what you gave to that man. Heal me like you healed that man. And it says that Jesus disappeared. Jesus left. And all those requests and all those pleas, they fell on essentially deaf ears. And that's confusing. Because if God can heal, if James tells us to go to God for healing, if we see that Jesus can heal just by speaking, then why doesn't Jesus heal everyone? Why doesn't Jesus speak and heal every single person in that room that day? Why doesn't he kind of pull like an Oprah, like a you're healed and you're healed and you're healed and everybody's getting healing, everyone's healed all over the world, in this room, online, listening on iTunes. If this power is available to our God to speak and bodies listen, why doesn't he do it? This is what we ask. Because you see a picture here of Jesus walking to this temple where hundreds of people are lying around, sick and dying, and he makes his way over various people. This guy looks pretty bad. This one looks bad. And he goes to one person. And he heals one person. And leaves everybody in their situation. Why doesn't he heal everybody? The truth is, I don't know. Nobody does. And that's why I didn't want to do this message. Because it's confusing. And I desperately wanted to come up here on this stage and to release the tension for all of us because we're wondering, God says he can heal, but why doesn't he heal sometimes? And we wrestle with this and we struggle with this and we don't understand this as humans. But after reading all the accounts of Jesus and all the various miraculous healings that he did, I did learn something. That although God can heal, we shouldn't presume he must. And that's not easy to hear as a human. Because as humans, we believe that the greatest good that we can receive is physical healing. And sometimes God doesn't answer those, those, those prayers. And sometimes God doesn't choose to heal, and we may never know the reason why our prayers seemingly go unanswered. We may never know why God chooses to heal some and not others. But we do learn something interesting from a guy named Paul. Paul was a New Testament author, and Paul suffered greatly in his life with physical afflictions. Theologians are not exactly sure what he had, but 
the consensus is that it was a pretty severe eye disorder. And in one part of the Bible, he's talking about the fact that he was praying for healing. Here's what he said. Three different times, I begged the Lord to take it away. Now, if I know anything about Paul, I'm fairly sure he prayed more than three times. I'm sure he prayed every single day, every week, every month, perhaps every year. Dear Jesus, I've given my life for you. I've traveled the world for you. I've been shipwrecked for you. I've been thrown in prison for you. I've been tortured for you. I travel the world sharing your gospel. I beg of you, heal me. Touch me. And every time he prayed this, the Lord said no. Every time he prayed, it says, my grace, God said, is all you need. My power works best in weakness. Paul says, so now, I'm glad to boast about my weakness. So that the power of Christ can work through me. Paul's saying, you know what? God chooses not to heal me, at least right now. If he says that his power can be most powerful in my current state, then use me, Lord. Use my weakness to transform the world around me. And I would just say this. If you're somebody here right now who's been praying for healing and it hasn't happened yet, and maybe you're experiencing what I'll call delayed healing, I would challenge you to pray, God, how can I be used in my weakness, in my current situation, in my trials that I'm going through right now, Lord, that I wish I didn't have, but you see fit to leave me in? How can I be used for your glory in this situation? And I'll just tell you this. As a Christian, in my work in the church, the people that I have seen make the biggest impact for the kingdom of God on this earth are those who have praised the Lord through their sickness. The ministry that I have seen that takes place from a hospital bed is profound. Because the scripture is clear. When you're a follower of Jesus and you're sick and you're being tested or you or you're just, something is going on in your life, you are being watched. And I don't just mean by the world around you. The scripture says that the powers and the principalities of this world are watching you to see how a follower of God handles this. And when you can maintain your testimony, when you can praise the Lord, when things look dark, you can change the world in a way that nobody else can. Your sickness, your situation can be an absolute blessing for you, those around you, and the kingdom of God. As I read about Jesus' healing this week, I, I saw something that I never really saw before. And it really helped me understand what he was actually doing. You see, Jesus' healings had nothing to do with healing. When he helped the blind, it had nothing to do with sight. When he helped the lame, 
had nothing to do with walking. When he cured lepers, it really had nothing to do with health because the truth is every single person that Jesus miraculously touched on this earth still died. No matter how miraculous their healing was, everyone still died. And I feel like Jesus is trying to touch us and and talk to us because I think as humans, we become so focused on healing in the present that we just kind of, we lose focus of the reality of the world that we live in. One of my favorite characters in TV show of all time, his name is Al Swearingen, from a show called Deadwood. One time he was talking about this life that we're all living. And he looked at his buddy and he goes, no one gets out alive, Doc. In this world, no one's getting out alive. And I don't put this up here to make light of any kind of situation. But the truth is this. Even with the most miraculous healing that we may feel on this earth, death is an inevitability. It's a reality. And so I believe that when Jesus works these miracles, he is doing something much more profound. I think that Jesus healed so that we would know he is God. That he worked these miracles so that we would know that he has the power to forgive sin. That should you put your trust in him, that should you say yes to Jesus, that you would have perfect healing, that you would have permanent healing, that you could live this life no matter what you're going through, that you could live this life holding on to the promise of what's to come, the truth that is shared with us in Revelations, where it says that he, speaking of Jesus, speaking of God, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes. Imagine that, God himself wiping the tears away. And there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. This is true healing. This is why we pray. This is what we hope for. This is what we can expect. And this is why Jesus came. For permanent, absolute, perfect, and true healing. So what's the practical? What do you do with a message like this? If it's your first time at DHC, we put this word on the screen every week because we want to make sure you can leave on a Sunday and know exactly what to do. So I don't know what you're going through, what kind of sicknesses you may have, what kind of trials and tribulations you're facing right now. But if you haven't already, I would challenge you to invite God into your situation. Because the scripture's clear. Sometimes we have not because we have asked not. There might be a miracle waiting just around the corner for you, and God is just waiting for you to invite him into your life and say, Lord Jesus, heal me. Touch me. Touch my body. He's just dying for you to ask. Maybe you're somebody in this room or watching online that's struggling with a serious health issue. And it's scary. 
that maybe the prognosis from the doctor looks grim, at least by the world's standards. I would just challenge you today to remember this. God has the final say. No matter what doctors say, no matter what the world says, you need to remember according to the scriptures that God has the final say in your life. In Psalm 112, it says this, they do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. Saying no matter what you hear, no matter what you see, you don't need to be afraid. God is with you. He's ahead of you. He's walking alongside of you. He's behind you. You do not need to be afraid. Prayer changes things. Prayer can come into your life and absolutely change your situation because God is in control. And when God speaks, bodies listen. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, the scriptures are clear. You have the power and the authority to speak and heal our bodies. And ultimately, Lord, we know that it's up to you what you want to do. But I just pray right now that if there's someone in this room right now, if there's someone watching online right now, if there's someone listening on iTunes right now, and they're suffering, and they're scared, I pray for your healing in their life. I pray in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would touch them. I pray in the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would touch them. That they would feel your presence perhaps in a way that they have never felt before. But Lord, should you choose to delay our healing, I pray that you would give us the strength to not miss out on that opportunity. Lord, to speak to those around us, to praise your name even when those days are tough and they're dark because we know, Lord, that the world is watching us, that your enemies are watching us, Lord. And we can make a difference for your kingdom by praising your name even when we don't understand. Heal us, Lord Jesus. Come into our lives. We ask all of this in your Son's name. Amen.